trying to get as much down as I can for these kids I'm working with. I want to make sure that they have as much as I can possibly provide. I don't want them to be lost you know, if something happens to me. First People's Fund presents the Collective Spirit Podcast. The Collective Spirit moves each of us to stand up and make a difference, to pass on ancestral knowledge, and simply extend a hand of generosity. The Collective Spirit Podcast features Native artists and culture bearers who discuss the power of Indigenous art and culture. My name is Alan Wallace. I'm from the Nisinan Washoe tribes in uh, northern eastern California. My art form has kind of moved around over the years. Currently, I'm, I'm pretty much painting and then doing uh, all kind of lyrics for music and stuff like that, which is kind of poetic, but it's it's in our language. So the, our language, the Nisenan language, is very poetic, so it rhymes a lot. So, Well, my art quote career and unquote career started when I was really young. I used to do a lot of playing with clay and stuff like that. And so that was kind of my earliest idea of doing stuff. But I was pretty young. That was before I went to school. I would, when I was little, I would grow gardens and stuff and just sit around and watch stuff grow and just think, you know, and ask questions of myself or kind of, why am I this? How come I'm this? And where does that come from? And I'd be sitting there watching the garden grow and then, you know, I'd kind of get these answers. So that sort of sparked me into the idea of kind of pursuing my origins. And as, as, as time went on, I, I, I sort of wanted to get back into more specific of the, of the culture, you know, my culture. It was pretty much all of our, everybody else around here all our babysitters were our grandmothers and stuff so i uh, always had a, a thing for, uh, for for who i am and where i come from that's been sort of always there even when i was young i knew language was important just getting back into that one aspect of everything it helps me with getting answers you know not only in my daily life but also in my dreams and stuff like that my cultural education started when I was very young because my sister and my cousin were all about the same age. And we kind of called ourselves the three little lost kids. Our babysitter was my great-grandmother who was uh, raised in, in the fluent fluent first speaker and uh, you know, practiced a lot of culture and stuff like that. I remember when we were younger, uh, these academics would come up and uh, interview her and record her and stuff. And you know, we were, we were kind of young and they would bring sandwiches and candy and stuff like that just to get rid of us. So you know, we were always hanging around. A lot of the material that we're using today that, that I, I have and look at is, is basically from what those guys recorded and uh, you know, wrote down from uh, when they did those interviews of her in the late 1950s and 1960s. You can hear her voice and stuff like that. Even when you read it, you can kind of go back there. It's, it's funny how that works. You know, it's, it's not gone, even though it's not live, but it's still, it's still there. I was in the last era of the draft. So going into uh, a unit and everybody in my unit was going to Vietnam. And then two weeks before we got done, our, our graduation, I got sent to a, a, a unit that was going to Germany. So that was actually kind of, somebody was watching out for me, I think. So I ended up in Germany, which is funny because I took four years of German in high school. And so I knew a little bit about the culture. That was interesting to, to be over there. So that probably, I like to say that's probably the most fun I ever had in my life, which is kind of strange to be in the army and have that much fun. I, I, uh, I got to go to a lot of concerts back there because they were traveling. They would do concerts because there was no MTV or anything like that. The bigger ones we went to was the Isle of Wight, and there was like 600,000 people there. Jimi Hendrix was performing there, and the, the Doors, and uh, that was probably the last Doors performance because Morrison died not too long after that. And then the next weekend, Hendrix was playing at, at the Isle of Famorn in, uh, in northern Germany, and he died not long after that. So I got to see two of his last big performances, which was, yeah, that was a, that was a treat. 
at that time, The Who was performing, so they were doing like the Tommy album live, and that always stuck with me how interesting that was. And more recent work, I uh, we did a, a play, worked on a play, and I was using that the rock opera theme of Tommy. It traveled around for a while. It was called Something Inside Is Broken, but it was basically the Nissan lyrics, and then kick kicked us off onto continuing how to how to pursue you know our language in that in that more of the music media. I got a service. I had the GI Bill and the BIA money, so I went to UC Davis, graduated from there. Thought I was going to be a, a big killer Indian lawyer, but man, that was so hard. I couldn't do it. One year was enough for me. I, said, I got introduced to the art world and the painting world, and I went back 10 years later and took a year of just art studio there at UC Davis, and my buddy George Longfish was was teaching in NAS, so I, he figured out how I could go back for a year and just kind of uh, for a career change, they allowed you to come back for a year. So I went back there and just took art studio. They had some uh, knockout professors there, Wayne Tebow, Manuel Neri, Robert Arneson, to name a few of them. Yeah, I really, I really learned a lot there. So that, that actually helped me a great deal with painting and how to how to approach painting. Uh, what inspires my work? That's, that's a good question. I think everybody thinks about it, but probably doesn't have an answer. <laughs> You know, it changes and it, you could be thinking about something and just something pops in your head you know it's always I think finding the epiphany you know getting an answer and sometimes it's the process of doing art and you may get an answer to a question you've had for for a very long time I was working on some jewelry at the time it just it just popped in my head that it's working with your hands working with your hands in that creative process allows input from these epiphanies and so I was thinking about my great-grandmother making baskets and then it just was like, okay, the basket wasn't important. It's what she was thinking about and what came to her, the answer it came to her during the process. And I thought, oh, that makes so much sense because, you know, you can zone out when you're making things and, you know, not really be thinking about anything, but something else is floating around in your head and then you may think about that or even dream about it. So that's probably how I, I look at it mostly is it just stimulates a thought the process of thinking, you know, maybe at, a, at that higher level to get to get knowledge or information you know, for, for certain questions. So it's really part of the process, somewhat of the meditative thing. Tend not to get stuck on a particular style. You know, I don't. I don't like doing the same thing over and over again. That's sort of a, the challenge I have is really for myself to keep coming up with stuff. You know, sometimes you can change a medium. You know, go from maybe like wood carving wood or to you know just painting or uh, you know like I was doing jewelry and stuff. It just keeps you busy and it keeps your mind going. You know, so it, to me, it's not much different than like like walking or running you know the only thing that would hold you up from running or walking was like a decent pair of shoes but other than that you, know, you, you can get out and do that I've, I've never allowed that type of judgment or uh, survival to enter into my my creative processes when i was hanging around with my great grandmother and those older people like that you know they would collect and do stuff and they would just go through the process of, of getting their stuff ready and then they'd go ahead and do it and i i just kind of was around that so much that i never thought of that as being a problem I also like the idea of, of being a part of a, of a fellowship program, you know, and uh, doing that. And also helped me focus a little bit more on uh, contributing, you know, to my own community and such. This has been pretty nice for me. You know, I, I kind of, like I said, I looked at the list of people you had and the people, you know, that, are, that have worked with you and stuff like that. And it's pretty impressive. It was kind of nice to be a part of that. Sometimes you find uh, groups of people that are somewhat like-minded, let's say. That's nice.
working with the First Peoples Fund is uh, pretty much parallels what I'm doing anyway. I didn't have to come up with anything new. It was just putting pretty much what I had and then kind of having uh, the support is really important because it, it allowed me to spend more time on kind of working with the language and over the years, again, I've been supporting myself and uh, supporting our cause. The fellowship has kind of allowed me to not have to go do these odd jobs because I do what, what they call tribal monitoring work, you know, projects where construction is kind of impacting, you know, cultural site takes me away from, you know, kind of spending time uh, reading and writing and, you know, doing that kind of stuff. It's allowed me to kind of fill in that part where I don't have to do these, you know, the work out in the field. And it gets hot out here in the summertime. So you're standing out there in over a hundred degree weather and it wears you out. So you don't feel like doing a whole lot. So I don't have to, I didn't have to do that this year. As our group is maturing, we're moving in a different direction, kind of a digital direction, put our um, dictionary into online and audio online type of dictionary those kind of things you know you kind of got to organize it you know sometimes you you meet with people and kind of got to be available for whatever these meetings are so for some reason we've been able to work with the local tribe here you know on language and stuff and i do artwork for them proposal for the this year for the First Peoples Fund, trying to make the language more available, trying to make, you know, materials more available to communities, the community. The whole purpose of our effort here is, you know, is fluency because our language is an endangered language. You know, everything we do is, is positive. This year, we were able to meet with two of the local tribes and a particular nonprofit and agree on a particular orthography. It's been a point of contention over the years and like kind of debating on the orthography and then everything just dies. And so it's like, we agreed on one. So that's that's really got everybody to move forward. So I have way more time to, to devote to things, you know, so that's really important. At my age, you know, I'm 73 now, so I don't know how many more years I've got of doing this stuff. So I think uh, trying to get as much down as I can for these kids I'm working with, I want to make sure that they have as much as I can possibly provide, you know, and how I how I think and how I process stuff. You know, I don't want them to be lost, you know, if something happens to me. So that's where I'm sort of focusing in on. That just, that was something that just happened I look at my great-grandmother, but we talked about that when we first started, you know, 20 years ago, 12, 20 years ago, something like that, and uh, how she was an example for us. Yeah, her legacy is, is is huge. She had more to offer, though, but no way I could possibly compare to that. So I, I know that that's, but, uh, you know, just somebody who helped preserve the language, you know, and, and the language leads to the, all the other aspects of the culture, you know, self-esteem for individuals and who they are and stuff like that. I think that's pretty much it. And then I know I have a, a fair body of artwork out there, you know, and I don't hang on to that stuff. You know, the most important piece of art I do is the next one. I'm always looking to jump onto a new project. The Collective Spirit Podcast is produced by First Peoples Fund, whose mission is to honor and support Indigenous artists and culture bearers through grant-making initiatives, culturally rooted programming, and training and mentorship. Learn more at firstpeoplesfund.org.